Today I want to just spend a moment and just kind of talk a little bit. Maybe there's somebody here like me that has made a few mistakes in life. Is there anybody that's been there? Made a few mistakes? I see a few hands going up. And if we're not careful, we can, those, those mistakes can start to snowball. And before you know it, uh, action becomes a habit and a habit becomes a lifestyle. And we, we wake up and we're kind of like, how did we get here? What's going on? I remember what, what Paul said. He said, the things that I want to do, I do not. And the things that I don't want to do, it seems like that's what I keep doing. He went on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And we know that Jesus Christ is the great deliverer. He's Lord and Savior. And he so desires to meet us at the very point of our need. And so I have uh, additional thoughts for you today. In making those mistakes, maybe we felt sorry about it. Anybody been there that you kind of just had remorse and you felt sorry about what you did? But maybe we in this world, sometimes we can get desensitized. And before you know it, we can do something so often that we start, you know, somebody told me a long time ago, they said, rationalizing is telling yourself a rational lie. Anybody else know it's a lie? You just, you've rationalized it so much, you know, that we think it's truth. And if we're not careful, we can live a life that's, that's unpleasing. And we can start adjusting things a little bit. And we no longer have this godly sorrow, but we just, we, we're just sorry. You ever had a kid, maybe you, you had some of your kids, you know, and they, they had cake all over their face, their hands all, you, you know they had some chocolate or cookie, and they're putting their hand down behind their back, and they're saying, that wasn't me. I didn't do it. And then after you call them on it, walk them over there, show them everything, they say, I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry. You know they wasn't really, right? <laughs> they just sorry they got caught. You caught them in it. And now they had to fess up. Before you know it, we can be very desensitized to the gravity of our sin and mistakes. And so I want to spend some time today talking about it, talking about godly sorrow. Or are you just sorry? Sorry you got caught. I'm not going to do it no more. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. I think we'll see some wonderful things through the passage here of other believers living a life and, you know, and trying to figure out you know, their service to the Lord. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it says this, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorrow, sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. As we take a moment to just kind of look at this passage and, and, and give a little backdrop and understand what's happening here, there are things that are 
going wrong in the Corinthian church. And we've read before and probably see that there's different things like false teaching that's going on. There's disputing uh, because Paul has come, come to Corinth. He started a church. They're understanding this new faith in Christ and they're trying to understand and grow, but they're making some mistakes. Even so much so, we don't know exactly what Paul is addressing here, but maybe it's the speaking ill of, of one another. Maybe even speaking ill of Paul, and there's division that's occurring within the church. So Paul ad- attempts to address this, this bad behavior, these things that are happening that's causing division and fragmenting within the church, in this early church in Corinth. So, he, so in an attempt to do that, Paul visits Corinth. He makes a quick visit there. He tells them certain things. He rebukes them. There's things that are happening, but it doesn't go well. It doesn't go the way Paul hoped it would go. In an attempt to get, back, get them back on track, track, Paul also, after he leaves and he's had this sorrowful visit, he writes a letter. And so we see some of this mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you would just take a look with me there. In the first and second verse, it says this. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. I've already been there. It didn't work out exactly the way I thought it should. There was some grieving. There was some hurt feelings. Maybe you've been down that road. You've seen someone, or maybe someone has come to you because of some action or deed, and you cared so much about them that you just said it and you spoke truth, but there probably wasn't a whole lot of love mixed into it. And so it caused some hurt feelings. It came across critical. And instead of the person receiving the truth, they got angry, they got upset with you. And maybe you've been there. I remember many years back, I was going through some things and someone saw me at a restaurant and they came up to me and they pointed their finger at me and they said, you need to repent. You need to turn back to the Lord. And I just kind of looked at them and I said, well, I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm not receiving what you're saying because I don't know what you're talking about. He walked away. Yes, he didn't know the whole story, and yes, it was, but I I felt myself just getting angry. There were some things that I needed to address. There were some things that I needed to kind of self-reflect on, but I was mad. How dare him talk to me like that? He don't know me. You ever been there? (laughs) And so Paul experiences a little of this with the Corinth church. For if I, in verse 2, it says, For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? So Paul was kind of indicating I didn't really want to cause that to happen to you. But at the same time, there are some things that we need to address. So after the failure of this visit, Paul decided not to visit Corinth again in person at the time, but instead he sent Titus. So Paul wrote a letter, 
We're not clear about what, who the letter, we, we understand that it's primarily not 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, but he writes another letter, and so we see indications in Scripture of the indication of this letter. If you look with me in verse 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this, And I wrote this very thing to you, least when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all, that you will receive the same joy. He goes on in verse 4 to say, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved. I'm not trying to get you to a point. I'm not trying to abuse your emotions to where you'll have remorse and that it'll turn in. I'm not trying to get it where it turns into condemnation, where it sits on you like a heavy weight. But that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. See, the love of God compels us to speak the truth, but to speak it in love. That we care for one another, that we don't want to just let our, just live any kind of life. And so this letter is kind of called this severe letter. And so we see a little bit of effect in, in this chapter 7. Turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Paul writes this and he says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I regretted it, so he, after he wrote it, you ever sent a text, put something on Facebook, and wish you could pull it back? <laughs> you may have been speaking truth, you may have been sharing something. And so Paul said, Because something happened. Titus took the letter, Titus went to the people, he shared the letter with them, they read the letter and Paul was concerned, he was regretting writing it that they probably wouldn't, just like when I visited, they got mad, they got angry, maybe they wouldn't receive it. But Titus came back and he said, brother, I got good news for you. Brother, I want to share with you what, what transpired. I want to let you know that there was some goodness that came from the letter that you wrote. That there was contrition of the heart. That they turned to the Lord. That the zeal, the joy of the Lord returned unto them. That they rejoiced. They allowed themselves to receive it from the Lord, and they turned to him. And so Paul wrote this, and he says, For I perceive, perceive, that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. See, it had an effect. It wasn't to condemn you or to press you down or heaviness, but to get you to turn. See, there's a transition of sorrow that we would turn to the Lord. 
And so he's asking us the question, what are we doing with it when we feel that godly sorrow, when we know that we're doing things that don't please him? Because we're reminded that the word of God has an effect, that God speaks to us in a certain way to draw us back to him. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 9. See, it's so important that the the Corinth church didn't put their eyes on Paul, didn't put their eyes on Titus, and understand who was speaking to them. See, in Hebrews 12, chapter, verse 5 through 9, we see that the Lord chastens whom he loves. It says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons and daughters. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. From whom the, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. See, the reality of it is, is God wouldn't love you if he didn't chasten. If he let us do anything and everything. How many in here had to say stop to your child, no to your child, because you love them? To tell them it ain't right. To let them know you can't do that. See, look, he goes on to say in verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. But if you run out the house, you want to listen to your father. You want to be emancipated and to live your own life. You're not enduring as dear sons and daughters. Because maybe many of you parents in here have had those aha moments. Have you had an aha moment when you were uh, when you were a child and you just thought mom and dad was unfair? You thought they were the meanest thing on this earth. You wanted somebody else to be your parent, and then you had kids. And you had to tell them. And you had to discipline them. And you knew that you were doing it because you loved them. And they gave you that look. And maybe one of them said something. My kids knew they only had one time. I was like, I, I, I would say not often, but I'd say, you may think it, but you better not say it. <laughs> We remind them that we love them. That we chasten, that we correct you because we love you. Not because we're mad at you, we're angry, we don't like you, but because we love you. He goes on to say, if you endure chastening, but God, God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, at some point we've been there. Would you agree? Then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you stay in that boat, 
See, here's the reality of it is God never pulls away from us, we pull away from him. God never leaves or forsakes us, we leave and forsake him. See, the Bible says in this world that men love darkness rather than light. And it's so important that we allow ourselves to be chastened of the Lord. The final portion of that passage says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not more, much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? See, it's not a, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. God's trying to give us life and life more abundantly. He sent Jesus Christ for that very thing. That we would come into newness of life. That we would surrender ourselves to God. We would allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life, Savior and Lord. And that we would be disciples, followers of Christ. And to allow the Lord to chasten us, God to chasten us, because we know he loves us. So Paul is trying to get at this point. He's writing, he's going to visit, he's writing this letter. He's so hopeful that they would just receive it, but he's having some regret. So he's talking about two distinctive aspects of being sorry. There's the sorrow that we're, we're very familiar with in our society, the sorrow of the world. That we can grumble and complain because we don't have something or we need something or because somebody wronged us and we don't want to take responsibility for our actions. There's all this worldly sorrow. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Paul makes this statement. He says, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry. Not that you got caught. Not that you were called on your behavior. Because yes, we needed to get caught. We needed to get called on our behavior because we would have, what, kept doing it, right? But Paul wanted to make it clear this was not why he was rejoicing, because we got caught. So Look what he says. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. This is important that we look at this word godly sorrow. See, translated, that means godly grief. See, it's an acute sense of sadness we experience as a result of sin we have committed that separates us and offends God. Not man. Yes, we've done offenses to man. Yes, we've hurt others. We've done things that we shouldn't do, and the Bible reminds us, whatsoever man sow, that also he shall reap. And we should be accountable for those things, but that's not the intent. The intent is that we would 
have godly sorrow that leads to repentance. See, Paul makes it clear, a clear separation between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. They are not the same. One can be sorry for their sin without repenting from their sin. Hello, somebody. See, sorrow describes a feeling, but repentance describes a change of both mind and heart. And we turn away. See, remember the Israelites and there are many times of being sorrow, sorry, how that cycle of sin, how even so we see in Scripture when Solomon is b- finishing the temple, and he's praising and worshiping God. And all the elders said, we have sinned against God. We turn back to the Lord. And it only lasts for a, a little while. Before you know it, they were running down that so same road. So they were remorseful. But they didn't allow it to turn to true Repentance. To have a transformed life. So look with me closely in the book of Romans, the ninth chapter, verse 1 through 5. Because we see here that Paul is reflecting upon the Israelites. He's reflecting on his nation and, and, and how far they've come. And look what he says. He says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness In the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. See, Paul not only had it for what he had done, but he had it for his nation that had turned away. His nation that had taken all that God had done. You ever ever just took some time and looked at the book of Exodus and when they're the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and see how they were crying out to God, deliver us, set us free from bondage, break the chains of captivity. And God met them at the very point of their need. He delivered them and set them free. They started heading towards the Jordan River, things got a little tough, and they were like, what you doing, God? You trying to kill us? It's better if we were back there. See, if we're not careful, what's in our heart will show up on our actions. So Paul is making these statements. He goes on to say, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brother and Lord. My countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption. Lord, you've given us so much. The glory, the covenants, the giving of law. You chose us as your chosen people. We had the pleasure of the service of God 
and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. We had more than we could ever have ever imagined. And we still turned away from you. And Paul is grieving for his nation. Somehow as a nation, they had times of sorrow over and over and over again. And God was trying to draw them to him. Draw them to repentance. And so Paul is getting to a point here. That true godly sorrow has a different effect than just everyday sorrow, remorse. That true godly sorrow is life-changing. And so look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, repentance is not sorrow only. Sorrow alone accomplishes nothing. And so he spent a moment to remind us of the difference between the sorrow of this world and and godless sorrow. See, sorrow in in and of itself doesn't produce anything except bad feelings. We feel bad. You know what? We'll get over that. But godly sorrow produces repentance. Since repentance is a change of the heart and the mind in both thinking and in action. See, you can tell that there's been a true godly sorrow because it's going to produce something. So godly sorrow cannot be measured by feelings or tears, uh, only by what it produces. Does it produce real repentance? An action of turning away from ourselves, from the cares of this world, and turning to a holy, loving, gracious God. So let me show you both of those sorrows and that we see in Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew, the 26th chapter. So this is around Jesus' death. We see a contrast between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. There's two men who are sorry because of how they treated Jesus. Maybe you're familiar with this. One of the men is Peter. The other man is, man is Judas. And in Matthew, the 26th chapter, verse 74 and 75, it says this. Then he began, and this is when they've accused Peter of being with Jesus. And Jesus had reminded him that he, they wanted to sift him like wheat, but he had prayed for him. And Jesus said to him, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. And so at this very last time of them accusing P- 
Peter of being with Jesus, he said these words. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And look at what it produced. So he went out and wept bitterly. He had this godly sorrow. And we know the end of the story for Peter. He turned his heart to the Lord. He became bold before his countrymen. On the day of Pentecost, he spoke of the living God. He spoke of Jesus Christ. But he needed to get to that point of godly sorrow. Weeping Billy. But then we see Judas. See, Judas was sorry he betrayed Christ as well. In that very next chapter in Matthew, the 27th chapter, verse 3 and 2 5. Here's what it says. Then Judas. His betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, that Jesus had been condemned, and the King James says he repented, but what that word means in this context was remorseful, and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. See, when we, when we have the world of the sorrow, we're going to take everything back to the world. He took it to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went. And hanged himself. See, Judas, Judas was sorry he betrayed Christ. But instead of repenting to God, instead of having God with sorrow, he had remorse. And he went straight back to the world. And he probably was shocked that the world didn't want to have nothing to do with him. Didn't care. What does that have to do with us? See, Paul was saying, worldly sorrow produces death. And so Judas went out and he hung himself. He died. Satan had victory in this aspect because Judas chose the world sorrow that leads to destruction. What that sorrow produced in him was to turn him to the world, to the Pharisees, instead of Jesus. And we see so much of that in our society today. We turn to alcohol, we turn to drugs, we turn to other people. Instead of turning to the Lord himself. Nothing can give us life in this world. 
only the father of life. So, yes, repentance sounds like a harsh word, but it means to turn away from self, to turn your heart to Jesus. We see that being spoken in Scripture. John the Baptist preached. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he told the listeners to repent. See, repentance is not the ground of salvation. Jesus is through faith. But to get there, to have godly sorrow that leads you and turns you from your way to him, we must repent. See, the unrepentant perish, but the repentant come unto salvation. So, saints of God, this is for the unbeliever and the believer. God loves us so much, he chastens us. He wants us to have godly sorrow. He doesn't want us to be separated from him in anything, in any way. He wants us to understand that if we do it the way of the world, there's nothing but death and destruction. But if we turn from ourselves, we allow our heart to turn to him. In every aspect of our lives. Don't play around with it. Sin is deadly. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you go on to heaven, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But I'm going to say it clearly, that there is folks that checked out of this world earlier than what God intended because they was doing it the world's way instead of God's way. And they were remorseful. But it led to destruction. It's so important that we trust him. We allow him to lead God and direct us. And when God chastens us, convicts our heart from something, don't on something, don't run from him. Stand and turn towards him. It's because he loves us. So Peter rejoiced in this final thought in 2 Corinthians 7 11. For I observed this very thing. I observed this very thing. That you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you that you desired to serve the Lord, to trust him, to turn to him. What clearing of yourselves, it just cleared all of that junk out of the way. What indignations, saints of God. We so have to get some fire in us when it comes to the devil and sin. We got to have some indignation about what he's trying to do to us and others. And say, no way, no how, I'm going to serve. I don't know about you, but from my house, we're going to serve 
the Lord. That's the way we have to be, saints. The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Like a herd of locusts, he's trying to destroy everything around us. But I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Peter, Paul went on to say what fear, what reverence and honor before God. What vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. Man, y'all getting it. And he said, in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. That we're going to serve the Lord. That we're going to follow him. That we're going to trust him. And not get caught up in the cares of this world. So how sorry are you? And this is not a message of condemnation. But it's so important that we be sensitive. To the Holy Spirit speaking to us. The word of God reminding us. Grieving, just like Paul grieved for his nation, that we grieve for others, and that sin would grieve us so that we would run to a holy God. Lord, I need you. Lord, I don't want to play with this anymore. For you are my all in all. You are holy and righteous. And I don't want anything that separates me from you. I trust you. I turn away from my way and I turn to you. Every day. going through the trials and tribulations, I know that you are there. When I'm going through the mourning and the pain and suffering, you are ever present. And Lord, I need you. And watch him show up. Watch him show out. And watch him be glorified in and through you, because he's worthy of our God.